First movement, toccata. That means bouncing, upbeat, that even the most jaded rock and roller would probably like. This marvelous piece of pure music is not designed to conjure up a particular image in your mind. It's not like that uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice, you know, by Dukas. The music is about the story. This doesn't have a story. It just sounds neat. Dynamically, the music gradually builds tension before concluding with a cadence of five strong chords. And when we get to that point, I'm going to hold up my hand and we'll count them off. The thing that I want you to remember is the second of those five chords is strikingly beautiful. It's so beautiful, I wish it could just stop and just keep on playing, but it moves on. I think you'll agree. It moves, this music does, to a point of rest and gives a sense of harmonic completion. This, my friends, is music to feel good about.
this guitar here. He slows down just before he gets to the climax. Christian life. We're going to be thinking about music in general, not just music as it relates to worship services. The purpose of this part of our seminar is to investigate and appreciate this gift of God to us all. Genesis 4, Jubal, the seventh from Cain, I think it was, is called the father of all who play the harp and the flute. We're going to have regular features interspersed throughout each session. Let's do it. That's where I introduce and we all sing together a psalm or a hymn. Take five. That's a tickle-your-palate introduction to music notation, also known as reading music. Ugh. Listen, that's what we just did, to some of my favorite recorded music for us to just enjoy. We're even going to hear a song or two from Les Mis, and possum, possibly some Fogarty, Credence Clearwater. <laughs> that's the one. Music makers. 
Are you ready for that? Mini bios of some important composers and performers. Topics. We might not have time for all of them, but here they are. What is music? What does the Bible say about music? Is music for everyone? Yes, music in worship, including having a choir and special music. What do we think about that? Then hopefully we will have time for some miscellaneous bits and pieces like rock. Is it evil or is it okay? Music and the human temperament. Music and the home. Instrumental accompaniment of congregational singing. I think I'm safe on that one because we have a plurality of instrumentalists here and nobody will feel that I'm talking to her or him alone. Exclusive psalmody. Is it biblical and hymnody? Choosing music, including contemporary hymnody. Hymns written after 1870? Yes. Now, I will allow a certain amount of discussion, of course, but must limit such due to time constraints. If you submit written questions, you will for sure get it answered, or I will promise to try. It will be easier for me to work answers into the seminar. <coughs> Oral questions are, of course, welcome, but I won't always be able to answer them, nor will my answers that I give always satisfy everyone. Let's face it. There are some strong opinions here when it comes to music. Understandably, it is very powerful. And those kinds of feelings are usually generated by this topic. But I've also found, as I've given this seminar some 22 times in mostly Orthodox Presbyterian churches, that the folks have been very kind and loving toward me and toward each other. And people have restrained themselves from getting angry. It's easy to get angry when it comes to something that really touches our hearts and our souls. And I'm sure you will do that too. This is a warning. I'm just telling you that uh, it's, uh, it's been fine so far and I don't think it will change this week. May God bless us as we consider how this aspect of God's creation and it is an aspect of his creation because, as I noted in that verse from Genesis 4, already before we get out of the fourth chapter of the Bible, we have a mention of musical instruments. May God bless us as we consider how this aspect of his creation is to be redeemed in our reformed world and life view. Okay, here we go. What is music? What is it? Well, materially, of course, music is arranged sound. Arranged sound. Plus silence. We had those fermatas, Alan, in the song that we sang. How shall the young direct his way? And those fermatas mean hold it and then stop. It's not exactly a rest, it just stops. And we are silent for a moment, and then we start in again. There's a hymn, Thy God Reigneth, that has a rest in it, and no congregation ever observes the rest. 
They keep on singing because they don't know how to sing a hymn without having music all the time. But the person that wrote that tune said, I want to rest here. Thy God reigneth. Thy God reigneth. That's the way the hymn goes. And there's a rest in there. So next time you ever sing that hymn, will you please observe the rest? Because music is arranged sound interspersed with silence. And the silence is part of the music. John Cage wrote a composition of four minutes and 24 seconds of absolute, unmitigated, unrelenting silence. I kid you not. He has the uh, pianist who's playing this number come on stage, sit down at the piano, get himself all ready, and start a timer. And four minutes and 24 seconds later, he gets up and walks off the stage. And that's John Cage's composition. Well, of course, John Cage, contrary to my dear brother G.I. Williamson, who writes about this in a, a book that he wrote, Understanding the Times, I think it's called, where he writes about modern art and modern music, says that this is a part of the irrationalism of our day. Uh, if G.I. were here, he would smile, I think. And I don't agree with G.I. I think that John Cage has his tongue firmly planted in his cheek on this one. And he's having fun with us. And of course, whenever his composition, I don't know what he calls it. Does anybody know what he calls it? Is it called four minutes and twenty-four seconds? What he wants to happen is he wants you to realize that there is music in us all the time. And of course, some car goes by and toots its horn or an airplane flies over or somebody sneezes or whatever happens. And you hear these things, these sounds, and that becomes then the composition. Of course, then it's different every time. Music is produced through a variety of means. In nature, it's produced, of course, by animals. Now, we had our uh, sixth child get married last June. That was Natalie. And so Jean and I are childless, except we still have Buddy Bear. Buddy Bear is our Lhasa Apso. And he, I kid you not, makes music. Whenever you let him out in the morning and he comes back after he does his duty, he wants his beef jerky. And so he dances for it. And he's got his claws and he dances on the, living, on the dining room linoleum and he makes music. And we just sit there and watch him. And he say, what's the big holdup? Where's my beef jerky? But we just let him dance and make music for a while and then we give it to him. He also snores. And he makes various sounds and I would say that that's music. Uh, the wind. Did you ever listen to the wind? It's very musical. A babbling brook. Take the time sometimes to listen to a babbling brook. It's beautiful music. What about a storm? You know, uh, Beethoven writes his, what is the path, uh, pastoral symphony? Is it number six? Number six, yeah, he has that storm in the middle of it. It's incredible. You can see the light. If you've seen Fantasia, it's in there. And, and you can hear the, the thunder and you can almost see the lightning. And uh, he's duplicating what God does for us all. You do have thunderstorms in Southern California. Or is that only in Texas and Pennsylvania? You have them sometime. And listen to it. it it's, it's gorgeous. It's 
not scary. And then, of course, who are the chief musicians of the animals? The birds, yes. And there are people that study the songs of birds. Beautiful. Music is made also by humans. You make music whenever you speak because music is just extended speech. And it's hard to hear the difference when I'm speaking and when I'm singing, isn't it? It's just how long I hold the vowels. As when you're, whenever you're singing a vowel, whenever you're speaking a vowel, you're singing. Isn't that wonderful? So, I will not listen to you if you say, I can't sing. I say, can you talk? And you say, well, of course I can talk. Well, then you can sing. It's just staccato singing when you're speaking. Uh, Rapunzel could have said to her prince, climb up my hair that I throw down to you. <laughs> or she could have said, Climb up my hair, I throw down to you. And if she did that, then of course we'd have the beginning of the opera, Rapunzel. Both genders can sing, though the range differs, as every adolescent boy soon enough finds out. Am I going to be an alto or a bass? Or what's going to happen to me? Instrumental music is made by humans. Strings, brass, Woodwinds, percussion, reeds. Who wrote the uh, Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra? No, who wrote it? Britain, Benjamin Britton. Get that. Get, do you, do you, can you have? Can you borrow tapes from your library, CDs? Get Benjamin Britton's A Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra. Listen to it. You'll learn about the instruments. But we're going to do it here. Let's see what instruments are represented. Which of you play a stringed instrument? Not a piano. We're going to call that a percussion. A stringed instrument. Hands up. How many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. I may have missed you. Sorry. But at least twelve of us play a stringed instrument. Uh, which stringed instruments do we have represented here? Violin. Viola, cello, double bass, just violin, Get, uh, guitar, yeah, guitar, string instrument, guitar, oh, that's lots of guitars. How many violins do we have here at the camp? Sweetheart, do you have your violin here? Does anyone have a violin here? Do you have it here? Did you bring it? Now, I, I want to know if, you, if anyone has a violin here at camp. Oh, what a pity. Wh which of you will volunteer to come up here and tell us how to, what, what a violin does? One of you violinists. Just come on up here and give us a little two-minute speech on how a violin works. Come on, somebody. Come on, help me out here. Who are the violinists? Are you a violinist? Come on, darling. Come on. Now, what? 
What can you tell us about the violin? I don't know. <laughs> how many strings does it have? Four. Uh, how many of them? How many of them can you play at the same time? Two. Not three? No, I can't. <laughs> can anyone play three at the same time? I don't know. Oh, I think you do. Think about it. No. You're right. The answer is no. And why can you only play two at the same time? Because the strings are angled. Yes. Right. And what are the pitches of the of the four strings? What what notes? Um, e, A, D, and G. Right. And what's the most important thing that you have to learn when you're starting to learn to play the violin? How to hold the bow? What, what, tell me what you, what you have to learn. What's important? The names of the notes. Yeah. How yeah. to read notes. Um, I don't know. How about how to make the sound? Yeah. How, how do you do that? You put the bow across the strings. How do you stop it from bouncing? You hold it on. <laughs> you hold it on. Thank you, sweetie. What's your name? James. Hi, Jane. Thank you very much. Very good. I, I cannot believe that people play the... There's a film, The Red Violin. I, I can't recommend it entirely because it's got a couple of raunchy places in it. But it, if, you, if you're willing, parents, to, to uh, edit it, it, it might be something that you could watch in an edited... You can forward, fast forward, can't you, through bad parts? Uh, th it's an incredible uh, thing that tells about the history of, of a particular violin down through the, through the years. But my, I'm, I hold in awe people that play the violin. I, I mean, a piano. I mean, it's a piece of cake. All you've got to do is push levers. You just push them down and, and the music, it, it makes the music. But with a violin, you have to, you have to make the sound yourself. It's, it's incredibly difficult and I just, my hat's off to you, Jane, and, and all of you violinists. Okay. Uh, how many brass instrument players have we got here? One? Kurt, come on up and tell us how, how the brass instruments work. You're in trouble now. I'm not going to ask you any questions. You, you get, I'm going to have to put a time limit on you, though. Yet, why are you barefoot? Because it's calf, camp time. Tell, tell us which, uh, which brass instrument, by trombone. the way. Trombone. Trombone. Tell us about, wow, the slide trombone. There are valve trombones. Okay. So tell us all about the trombone. The trombone is a middle-voiced instrument. Neither really high or very low, but it can be sort of both. The brass instruments are made noisy by your, by your lips vibrating. In a violin, for instance, the string vibrates, but in the, w the wind instruments, particularly in the brass instruments, your lips cause the vibrations. Um, the pitch changes when you make the, uh, the tube you're blowing into longer. You can either do that by opening a valve or by on a trombone just stretching it. Wonderful. Thank you, Kurt. 76 trombones.
But I mildly took my place as the one and only bass and I Anyway, okay, where were we? Woodwinds. Oh, how many woodwind players have we got? Whoa, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All on the side. What's with the woodwinds? Ten, eleven, thank you. What, what instruments are represented? What kinds of... Oh, instruments? Recorder, flute, any oboists? What else? Clarinet, bassoon. Do you know that the oboe? Any? Are, are there? Is there an oboist in the house? Did you know that the oboe is the most important instrument in the orchestra? That's not an exaggeration. I never read that anywhere, but I'm pretty sure it is. For number one, there's only one or two in an orchestra, right? That's all you need because the oboe has such a cutting, nasal, distinguished, and distinctive sound that it can be heard right above the whole orchestra. Now, not if they're playing forte. But as long as they're playing mezzo piano, the oboe can be heard. And Tchaikovsky has a, has a symphony, is it number five, where the, where the second movement is this... Do you remember that tune? I think that's in Tchaikovsky. Oboe. Beautiful. Beautiful. So when you, when you learn to play an oboe, you are playing a very, very important instrument and you might become the oboist of uh, the Los Angeles Symphony Orchestra someday. Percussion. How many drummers have we got here? We got a couple drummers, right. Uh, I don't know what this thing is. Does anybody know what a piano is? Is it a, is it a stringed instrument or is it a percussion instrument? What's it called? Uh, it's called percussion? I guess it is because you sort of strike the... It hammers, it hammers away, doesn't it? And Michael makes sure that it's the things that you hammer are the right tightness. And come on up here, Michael, and tell us how you tune a piano. I don't have to take mine off? Man, we got, we got all the equipment here. Mike, tell us how to tune a piano. are stretched. Get closer. The strings are, are strung from the bottom of the, of the, the piano. There's an upright piano. Of course, this is not a piano. It's an electric piano. Or the grand piano, but from the far end of the grand piano, all the way to the near end where the pianist is, or in an upright, to the top of the piano. And where it's attached at the uh, opposite end from where we began. It's wrapped around a metal pin that's driven into a block of wood very tightly. And when I tune a piano, I turn that metal pin, tune the pin one way or the other to increase the tension or lower the tension, to raise or, or lower the pitch. You sometimes lower the pitch? Well, you go both ways until you get it just where you want it. How do you know when it's right? Do you use the, do you cheat? 
Do no. you use the machine or do you use your ear? I use my ear. Uses his ear. <laughs> right, let's hear it for Michael's ear. And, and it's right when everything sounds good in, in relationship to all the other notes. And we ultimately know that it's right when Tom Tyson, the pianist, sits down to play. I do not play. I tune. But you push levers when you tune pianos. Well, yes, I, I make sounds when right. I tune the piano, but I don't make music. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Now, who are the participants in music? Do you realize how many different kinds of participants there are? First of all, there are the composers, the people who write the music. I write the songs. Who wrote that, that, that song? Is that Billy Joel? Oh, Barry Manilow sings it, right. I write the song. We've got to have composers. We've got to have composers. I mean, even Jubal is the father of those who play the harp or the flute, but then somebody's got to tell them what notes to play on the harp and the flute. But then, what if that's all we had, composers? Like Beethoven, who just would compose. By the way, he never heard anything that he composed. He, he lay down on the floor. He cut the, cut the legs off of his piano so that the piano would rest right on the floor, and when he would play it, he could sit on the floor and he could feel the vibrations, and he felt the music. And he composed some gorgeous, gorgeous music. Da-da-da-dum, da-da-da-dum. We all know that. Beethoven's fifth. But uh, what, if, what if we stopped at the end of compose? That that's not a fifth of whiskey. That's a fifth, fifth symphony. Okay. Um, we've got to have participants. We've got to have performers. We have to have people to render the music. But what if they did that out in the woods? <laughs> Nobody was there. It needs to be enjoyed. Composed music needs to be played and it needs to be heard. And it doesn't make any difference if you're a composer, if you're a musician, if you play the music, or if just as you did with Vidor's organ symphony, you just listened to it. We were all, and you are all making music, and you're all participating in it. Most of us are one or the other of these participants at some time or other. Did you ever catch yourself when you're... Uh, getting the clothes out of the dryer, mom, whistling a tune and you can't exactly know what that tune is, you're, you're maybe composing it yourself. We make music in many different ways. Now let's do it. I want you to turn to hymn 288 in um, the blue Trinity hymnal. And I don't want you to sing those words. I want you to sing these words. Is this the blue trinit? Is this the blue hymnal? Oh, that's the red. Okay. Oh, you're, is that the one that holds open? Thanks. Now, the reason why I want you to sing this song is because it comes straight out of the Bible. Now, I haven't become an exclusive psalm singer, but uh, I believe that this, it, from uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, is quite possibly the oldest 
extant Christian hymn. Now, whether or not this is so, the material lends itself admirably to metrification. And that's what I've done. I've put the... I've translated the Greek into metric verse. That is, it, it has a certain rhythm. Undoubtedly great, the mystery of Christ, as human revealed by God justified, by angels attentively watched, to Gentiles was preached, in this world believed upon, to glory received. This is going to be great because right here tonight, you're going to join with the Christians who lived in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, who, uh, who apparently were singing this song in Greek or Aramaic or whatever, or probably, probably Greek. And uh, Paul knew about it, and he's reflecting on it in his letter to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Isn't that great? Now all those people are gone. They've gone to be with the Lord. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we can sing the same song that they sang. Now, it goes reasonably well with this tune. There's a little place when you have to be tricky because when you get to by angels attentively watched, you have to squeeze in the syllables real quick. By angels attentively watched to Gentiles. Say that with me. By angels attentively watched. Now, you have to say ten what? By angels attentively watched to Gentiles was free. Once more. By angels attentively watched to Gentiles was. It works if you remember to do it that way. Let's do it. to sing such an old hymn. You see, I like songs written after 1870 and I like songs written in the first century. I like them all. Okay. Now, we need to talk something about music notation. What makes up music notation? That is, uh, you know what I mean by music notation? The notes. Not just the notes, but everything else that's on that page that tells you what to do. First of all, there is the pitch. 
The music notation tells you to sing a certain note. Not this one, that one. That's pitch. Music has pitch. Uh, that's where we get the diatonic scale. That's where we get, of course, um, sing it with me. There's also meter. Meter is rhythm. That's rhythm. That's also rhythm. Different kinds of rhythm. Tempo. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb. That's tempo. How fast? How slow? Dynamics is the variety. Loud, soft, crescendo, diminuendo. And you need all these parts of music to make music. You also benefit very much by harmony. Sometimes songs were written in the Middle Ages and it was just one note, one tune, maybe even the same note. And then people put in polyphonic music different different other sounds at the same time that's harmony harmony is just two or more pitches sounded simultaneously let me give you some examples on the piano first we have the major third That's nice, isn't it? It's one, two, three. That's why we call it a major third. One and three is a major third. And if somebody's singing this, that side sing that note. La. You sing this one. Isn't that nice? That's harmony. Now. <laughs> Now, there's also a minor third. That's a minor just means that you flat the third a half a step. Mike knows about that. Instead of this one, you sing that one, and you put it together with the one. Let's try that when you sing the first one, la. No, you stay down there, la. Wait a minute, stop. Yeah, that's it. Now, let's hear that a little louder. That's minor. It sounds kind of sad, doesn't it? All right. You've got the major third and the minor third. You've got the fourth chord. That's the amen chord. Yeah. You've got the fifth chord. And again, this has nothing to do with whiskey. It has to do with the fifth note. 
Now they go together very nicely, don't they? Listen to them again. Let's try that when you sing the first one. Hey, wait a minute. How come you always sing that one? You, let's turn it around. Yeah. You do, the, you do the, la, the la one down here. Now you give us the fifth. Did somebody put a third in there? I don't want any thirds. I want open fifths. Just those two notes. I want to hear what it sounds like. Here we go with your note. Okay. Now, I ask you, is that major or minor? Be careful. What's the answer? Wrong. What'd you say? Wrong. Either. Either. <laughs> Mozart, in his Requiem, this is a, a music about for a funeral, possibly for his own funeral, if you saw Amadeus. Mozart said, how shall I end my requiem? Are we happy or sad? The answer is yes. <laughs> we're, we're sad that our loved ones are dead, but we're happy that they're with the Lord, if, if they're believers. Now, don't get me into the theology of Mozart. I'm just telling you, there's a sense in which he's both happy and sad. So at the end of his, of his requiem... doesn't go, for that would be what? Nor does he go, sad. Here's what he does. What is that? It's, listen, it's. It's just that fifth that I talked about a moment ago. One, five. If you leave out the third in the middle, or it just becomes either happy or sad. So you can put in however you feel. When you listen to Mozart's Requiem on the last chord, if you feel happy, you can, your mind will tell you happy. Or if you feel sad, your mind will tell you sad. Now, Oh, this is neat. Did you know that there are four chords? Four chords that are based on putting together all the possibilities of a major third and a minor third. Putting them on top of each other. Are, are you with me? You can have a major third, okay? Third and another third and then play both of them together, you get... That's called a triad. That's a three-note harmony. Now, here's the neat thing, and God made this and allowed us to, to discover it. And it's incredible. Okay, if you've got two different kinds of thirds, just this one, is that called the major or minor? Major. And this one... What's that? Minor. So you've got two kinds of thirds. And, and you're going to put one on top of another. And you're going to do all the possibilities. How many possibilities are there? 
You can, you can use the same one or a different one. Give me your, tell me your arithmetic. How many possibilities are there, are there then? Four. Because, think of it. You can have major, minor, minor, major, 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 minor, minor. Can't you? Pick one of those four. I will play it and I will tell you what kind of a chord that is. What one do you want to do first? Minor, minor? Okay. That's called the diminished chord because it's not like this. It's like that because it's a little smaller. <laughs> the top two notes are diminished. They go down from here to here. And so you get the diminished chord. That's called diminished. And that is a wonderful chord. Or, uh, uh, composers need that chord all the time. You'll find it in popular songs. Okay, what's another one? We've got three to go. That was minor, minor. What's another one? Major, minor. You want to do major, minor? Okay, that's a good one. Here we go. Major. That's minor, isn't it? Now let's put them together. That one and that one comes out. Whoa! We did major, minor, but when we played them all together, what do we get? Happy! Major, minor put together equals happy major triad. Isn't that neat? Now, of course, you need that song for, you need that chord for every song. Okay, we got two more to go. Major, major. I'm glad you mentioned that one because this is my absolutely favorite chord. This one will blow you away. Here we go. Major. Listen to that one together. Whoa. Do you know what that one's called? Augmented. Augmented means bumped up a little bit. See, instead of it's... <laughs> you hear that top note go up a little bit? Listen again. Now, who cares about the augmented chord? Giacomo Puccini. That's who cares about the augmented chord. Giacomo Puccini is the greatest operatic composer in the history of the world. Wagner, eat your heart out. Puccini writes Madama Butterfly. And in Madama Butterfly, Chocho-san, who's Madama Butterfly, is going up the hill to marry Pinkerton, who's an American lieutenant. And he's not going to stay with her. But that, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But as Chocho-san is coming up the hill, she's singing a gorgeous tune that it, you hear throughout the whole opera. Every time you hear anything about her love for Pinkerton, you get this tune. You get it in their honeymoon toward the end of Act One, and they just sing all over the place, and it is wonderful. How many of you have ever heard the opera Madame Butterfly? You know the tune, don't you? It's a wonderful tune, and guess how many notes it has to it? Do you know? Guess. Almost. Yes. Four. Here are the notes. And you say, what the heck kind of a tune is that? It's a great tune. 
if you harmonize it correctly. Okay, now, Tyson never heard this opera. He was given that tune, and somebody said, Tom, Puccini wrote that tune. Would you please harmonize it for us? I would say, thank you very much. I would love to do that. I know a little bit about music, and that's a piece of cake. Here's the way I'm going to harmonize Puccini's tune. How's that sound, John? That's pretty good. Let's try it again. Is that so bad? What's wrong with that? Yuck! That is horrendous. And if Puccini were alive, he would commit Harry Carey with a rusty knife. I can't stand it, he would say. Here's what Puccini did with it. And the reason why he did that was because Chocho-san is coming up the hill and she's coming up the hill with her bridesmaids and there are 20 of them and she's a soprano and they are altos and she is very happy that she's going to marry Pinkerton and she's looking forward to the wedding and the way I just harmonize it it kind of just falls flat, doesn't it? It sounds like a blah tune but that same tune with the Augmented triad, which is what? Major, minor, minor, major. What is it? Major, major. Here it is again. Now, here's what Puccini does with the augmented triad in Chocho San's wedding song. because she's coming up the hill and he goes into about six or seven different keys and it's the augmented triad that gets him there. Did you hear when the augmented triad came in there? One more time, I'll look at you when I play the augmented triad if you didn't catch it. Okay, that's the augmented triad. Four chords. That's all you need. Made up of the two kinds of thirds. Major, minor, minor. Oh, we still have one left. Which one did we forget? Minor, major. I wonder what that one, how that one comes up. Can you guess what happens to that one? What does that yield? It yields a minor chord. Listen. Isn't that interesting that a major minor yields, or no, minor major yields a minor chord. Here's minor. Here's major. Put them together, you get minor chord. And that's all you need. I mean, what is all this hype about music notation is impossible? Who could possibly understand it? It's a piece of cake. Just four chords. That's all you need, and you can write an opera. Um, melody. You've got to have a melody to have music. Um, what time am I supposed to stop, Alan?
when I'm done. Okay, I will just go through lesson one of take five and then we'll stop. Okay, but you have to have a time and I don't want to, to burden you or burden you or bore you. You've got to have melody like... Here's one of the greatest melodies ever written. a little star. It's such a great melody that many different composers have written all sorts of uh, fantasies on Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. You need melody. You also need mood to have music. You can have melody, pitch, harmony, rhythm, everything else, and time, but you, if you don't put it together in a certain way, you may not set the, the mood that you want. For instance, a dance music. Dance music has its own mood. A funeral dirge has its own mood. A march is its own mood, and so is a lullaby. Now, all of those types of music use the same building blocks. Pitch, dynamics, rhythm, keys, harmony, but they put it all together in a way that yields a certain mood. Now, Phrasing is the last aspect of music that you need to recognize. And phrasing is the thing that separates the people who are still just starting on piano. And the ones who at last are making music. I'm not ridiculing or in any way putting down people who are starting to play music. Please don't misunderstand me. I went through this myself. And when I started taking piano lessons, at the beginning, I was doing this. And my teacher, Mrs. Link, would have said, Tommy, that was very good. But I hope you come back next week. There has no phrasing. Phrasing is hard to describe, but let me play that same tune as I finally learned how to play it. You see, the first time was just pushing levers. The second time was making music because I phrased it. I played exactly the same notes, but there's a big difference, isn't there? And I don't know how to explain what that difference is. Can anyone? You gave it purpose? Fitting into the hole? Yes. It's sort of like this. It's sort of rounded instead of chopped up. And so, moms and dads, be real patient with Susie. Because she'll get it. And when she gets it, you'll know it. 
And even more importantly, Susie will know it. Okay. Take five, lesson one. Now I need my... I said, I forgot my pointer. And Bill said, I've got one. All right. Take five, lesson one. Can anybody tell me what this is? Yes. Staff. And can anybody tell me what this music is? Yes. Yes, it's the doxology. You know that, don't you? Look at it. Yeah, that's the doxology. Now, this is the treble clef. This is the part of the music that's to the right of middle C on the piano. And this is the bass clef. It's the music that's to the left of middle C. Now, each one of these lines and spaces equals a note, a white note on the piano. In the treble clef, that's this one, to the right of middle C, the spaces equal F-A-C-E, which is very easy to remember. The lines equal E-G-B-D-F, which as everybody knows, it means every good boy does fine. Or as some put it, Every good boy does what? Deserves fudge. Yeah, I don't care which way you do it. But in the treble clef, the E happens to be this bottom line here. But in the bass clef, it happens to be way down here. Now, if you're in the key of G... If you, uh, if you have a, a G here and you're going to be playing in the key of C, you don't, you don't hit any... Let's see, what am I going to say here? Right. You, you're, you're, going to, you're not going to have any sharps in the key of C, but if you go up here to G and you want to play a scale, if you're playing a scale in the key of C, you play all white notes. Take my word for it. That's all the white ones. But if I go up from the C up to this G, which is up there, now I make that a Do, and I go up, it sounds like this, if I play all white notes. We've got to do something with that note. What we have to do is we have to sharp it. So it goes white, 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 black. White, and there's the, there's the sharp on the F. One sharp, if you see one sharp in the key signature, that's over here, that means you're in the key of G, if it's joyful sounding. So this doxology that I played is in the key of G, because there's that F sharp. And we're going to learn in other take fives what happens when you get in other keys and what other sharps and flats happen. But that's for another day. Uh, 
Yeah. We almost made it to our next listen, but we didn't quite get there. So we'll catch you tomorrow. Second lesson in the morning will be music. First lesson will be covenant nurture and catechism. Thank you.